Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Lewis and Lucas podcast. I am half of your podcast, Lucas. With me, as always, is Lewis. How are you doing today, Lewis? I am doing well, thank you. How are Good. You Good. I So I'm a little nervous, honestly, about this topic because it's religion and you know everybody loves talking about religion. And we ha- to have reasoned, uh, even-keeled conversations about religion. So we're, this is going to be just a fun conversation. Everybody's going to enjoy the points we're going to make. It's going to be great, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> One of those topics they tell you not to talk about in polite society. So let's talk about it. Let's do it. I mean, yeah, we've, we've talked about politics enough. Let's go to the next topic that really brings people together, religion. Exactly. Um, exactly. Specifically, we wanted to, we agreed to talk about Western Christianity uh, the, the Twitter circles that we run in, there's a lot of Catholics and a lot of Eastern Orthodox. And I, yeah, I was going to say, you said Western Christianity, but in our, arguably we're going to include Eastern Christianity in here. Well, as well I want right? to talk yeah. about it, but as, but as a person, I want to make it very clear. I am a Western Christian and I'm, I've spent okay. most of my time okay. looking at okay. Protestantism. So when I talk about Eastern Orthodoxy, it's not because it's not from a place of I've studied it or I followed it or whatever. So the ideas we're talking about is going to be contrasting Western Christianity. Uh, Well, we're we're going to do two things today. First, we're going to talk about like, there's tons of different flavors of American Protestantism. What are the big breaking points between different Protestants? There's a couple of themes. Instead of doing like, Here's what Baptists believe, and here's what Charismatics believe, because even like that would be boring. Number one, and two, you would have Charismatics and Baptists like I'm a Baptist, I don't believe that. So like we're we're just going to talk about where what are the breaking points between major streams of thought, maybe. Yes. Yeah. 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 So we'll talk about that, and then we'll talk about. um, I think you could speak more to Eastern Orthodoxy and catholicism right like so when we talk about what protestants typically believe and then contrast it to what i like i i see what eastern orthodox on twitter says but like what's generally like something that eastern or when eastern orthodox thinks about christianity with these topics what are their conclusions yeah and maybe i should lay my credentials on the table real quick yeah. in terms of um knowledge um i do have a master's of divinity degree um that i got actually from a methodist uh, seminary um but i've never attended a methodist church i've uh, been um in baptist churches and presbyterian churches and uh, lutheran churches um so i i have a from a protestant perspective i've got a a lot of experience with a lot of different denominations. Um, but I also have a lot of experience with Catholicism. Um, my family is Catholic and I, I know a lot of Catholics. I'm very close with a lot of Catholics. Um, I would say of the three, you know, Catholic, uh, Protestant, Eastern Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox, I probably know the least about, but I still feel like I know a decent amount about. I've had long discussions and debates with um, some Eastern Orthodox people um, and have done some private reading on it. So I, I feel like I kind of understand it, but um, it's- So would, um, would, it, um, would it be fair to say that Catholics and, East, and Orthodox have more in common than Protestants would with maybe Catholics or Orthodox? Like a Protestants are more the odd man out in terms of these three particulars? 
Um, or is that- I don't, I would not say that's okay. fair. Um, I, I think that's true on points. Um, but I think there's a lot of things where, um, I mean, the, the role of the papacy, for example, um, right. where there's major breaks with, um, Catholics and, um, the Eastern Orthodox, I think a lot of Protestants end up like Rod Dreyer, uh, converted to Eastern Orthodoxy, um, Frankie Schaefer converted, converted to Eastern Orthodoxy, Hank Hendergraff converted yep. to Eastern Orthodoxy. Yep. A lot of Protestants convert to Eastern Orthodoxy in large part because the differences between Eastern Orthodoxy and Protestantism are not as great as the okay. differences between well, Roman Catholicism on some things. Now, Eastern Orthodox will say the opposite. They'll say it's actually Protestantism and Catholicism are closer because we both follow Augustine very closely, for example, and we both follow, you know, Thomas Aquinas and, you know, we've been both been influenced by Luther, whether or not you, you're, you know, Catholic and you don't like Luther. So Eastern Orthodox see a lot of similarities between Catholics and Protestants. Um, I tend to, I, I, I've said this in the past is that I feel like I could win a debate. If you put me as a debate partner and you said, pick one of those three and make the case for it. I think I could make the case and probably beat an advocate uh, for uh, another group for each one of those. I think there's oh, nice. very okay. good apologetic arguments for all three streams. And, uh, you know, from a personal perspective, you can probably tell from me being in different denominations, that kind of stuff. I'm, um, I'm very, very sure in the truth of Christianity and kind of historic Christian faith. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like, who's right, I'm honestly, I'm kind of in this position of I'm looking and thinking right now oh, so see even as you say that eastern orthodox twitter has you in their sites so just be on the lookout <laughs> no and you know it's like eastern orthodox with their emphasis so yeah like the papacy they have problems with rightly um their focus on councils and synods as a presbyterian i love that too like that's those are very important institutions and the decisions that they make are very important and and I know like my Protestant uh, Baptist brothers and sisters would wholeheartedly disagree with the importance of those type of institutions. So yeah, let's get into. So let's first talk about Protest Western Protestants. Um, like wh- what are the major dividing lines between the major Protestant factions? I would say one of the many, there's a lot we could pick from, but when I think of like what makes me different from a Baptist or whatever, you could pick baptism, you could pick what, I think the idea, the question, does God love everybody? Does God love every single human being that's walking the face of the earth, has ever walked the face of the earth? Christian, there's different Christians that are going to have different opinions on that. Calvinists, these are the Protestants that believe, you know, God is wholly sovereign. Man cannot save himself. That it, the responding to the gospel first takes an act of God's grace to regenerate that person who was dead. God, in his sovereignty, regenerates that person so they can respond to it. And that person will respond in a way that the person that God does not regenerate is not going to respond to the gospel. Everybody hates God, and God has a select few, 
the New Testament uses the word election, elect a lot. God has his elect that he saves. Now, the Baptist or Armenian ideas on that question is, does God love everybody? Absolutely. Yes, he loves, like John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And there's other verses. Um, so they wholeheartedly believe this idea that God loves every single human being. He wants every single person to go to heaven. He does not want anybody to go to hell. It's our job to promote the gospel as much as humanly possible so that we can try and get as many people saved as possible. So those two streams, just so people want to think about the denominations they can think of. So the first one Lucas described is reformed or Calvinist and typical Calvinist denominations would be reformed denomination, uh, like reform church of America, RCA, um, Presbyterian PCA, denominations, OPC. PCA, etc. There's a lot of Reformed um, Baptists now, which and is there's really Reformed Baptists, right? So, um, so that would be that's that's the Reform side. The Armenian side, Armenian side is the um, typically Methodists, um, and would be um, uh, traditional Baptists. A lot, of, a lot of typical Baptists. Um, Anglicans tend to be in both camps. You find Reformed and Arminian uh, Anglicans. Um, and and, and I, I don't think Lutherans believe in limited atonement either, do they? Yeah, Lutherans are also generally on the more Arminian side, although they're, they, they don't claim that name, but they uh, their views kind of fall in that category. Yeah. So th- this is a big dividing line, and it raises some really interesting questions. Um. If God doesn't love everybody, then doesn't that inherently mean that he created people, some people who he does not elect? He creates them for the sole purpose of eternal torture and torment, right? He doesn't, he creates them knowing that they're not going to respond to the gospel because he hasn't elected them to respond to the gospel. So then they're going, they're going to go to hell because they don't repent. They don't repent because they're not elected. They're not regenerated in order to repent. So doesn't that mean that God um, is, is kind of cruel, sadistic? Um, you know, and, and, and I'm a Calvinist. I don't believe that God is sadistic or anything, but like, I, like where, where do you kind of fall on this? I know you're kind of not a particular denomination or anything, but. Yeah. So um, I have kind of gone back and forth on that question. Um, I um, love C.S. Lewis and C.S. Lewis was very anti-reformed, at least in, in most of his writings. Um, the, and I shouldn't say anti-reformed, he, he was definitely not anti-reformed, but he, in his own views, very much are in the Arminian kind of classic talking points um, for, um, for that. Um, and I respect the heck out of that guy and really appreciate everything he had to write. Um, on the other hand, I, I see the very good argument for the reform view from a biblical perspective, right? Like if you read Romans nine, it's almost hard to like get around it, right? Like it's yeah. very, it's very, seems very explicit in Romans nine and also John six. And like, there's these various passages that are very, um, convincing, from a reformed Calvinist perspective. Um, and so, you know, I don't, again, I like, I'm, I don't have a hard opinion on it. I, there's a part of me is 
wonders whether on some level we're talking past each other and like in some sense god does choose but also we're called to live as though we're i don't know but anyway i i don't know like you know my 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 tendency on stuff like that is um just to appreciate the arguments of both sides and kind of let it be but i i don't have a strong opinion sure yeah yeah i um I grew up in a Calvinist and, you know, I, if you watch the episode we did about my journey from Christianity, you know, long winding road through eventually atheism and then back to Christianity and I'm in specifically a reformed Calvinist position on the idea of salvation. Um, your points about like Romans nine and John six, like, yeah, it's really hard to be like, yeah, everybody, you know, God loves everybody. He tries so hard to save everybody. It's like, well, then, it's the it 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 makes the idea if the new testament the old testament hard to reconcile with each other the old testament you have god randomly select a people right he selects abraham he doesn't there's no explanation why abraham selected just out of god's sovereignty he chooses abraham he's going to make a people out of him he selects a particular people like that's you see that over and over and over again in the old testament that god picks certain people not based on their own merits and it's it's funny how the patriarchs in the old testament their shortcomings come up over and over and over again abraham well you know adam in his fall abraham his mistakes David, the adultery, the murder. And these are people that God loves and selected. So it's... Uh, Do you want me to real quick read the passage from Romans 9? I've got it up here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Romans 9, 13, it says, As it is written, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. For sh- what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And so you, then um, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scriptures says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name shall be proclaimed on earth. So then he has mercy on whoever he wills and he hardens whoever he wills. But you say to him, why do you still find fault for who can resist your will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to the molder, why have you made me like this? And and the passage goes on from there. I won't read the whole thing, but it's it's very explicit. <laughs> yeah. About, you know, like, and, and it's, and, it's, and it's Paul, kind of what's an so eye interesting, opener for a lot of people. So What's so interesting is that Paul preemptively guesses the objection to what he's preaching that, well, what, what will you say? This is a justice. It's like... How could you say that he's, he's got, we're his creatures. He is God. How could, how are you going to have a problem with that? This is, it's his sovereignty. It's his will. Like you may not like it. And that that's what I think what's so appealing about Armenianism is like, God loves everybody and just wants to, it's like I, that God, that God is more likable to me. I like that God. Uh, yeah. it, now, is I, that how I will it, say, do you if you want oh, me please, to give you please. the Arminian response to that. Yeah. Um, so they are uh, Arminian slash Catholic, you know, Catholics also would disagree with that view. Some, not all, but like many Catholics have a, a wide variety of views on, on 
predestination, but um, the Arminian view would be, no, 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 no. Paul is talking about Jews versus Gentiles. He's talking about the relationship of nations, not individuals. And therefore that shouldn't be applied to individual salvation. That would be the Arminian response from my Methodist training. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. I've heard that too. Um, that's that addresses some of the problems, but there's still when, you know, Israel is about to head out of Egypt and then God hardens Pharaoh's heart and makes them get the Israelites to bring them back. So he could finish the 10 plagues there, you know, when in Genesis chapter 50, when Joseph is explaining to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. He's ta- like talking about God's sovereignty within their evil actions. So then, so then the, the response, the Armenian response is like, oh, so as a Calvinist, you have to believe that God is the author of evil, that God ordains, create, makes people do bad things. To that, I would say, we don't need help doing evil things. When we are given free will, like we did in the Garden of Eden, we pick the fruit of the tree of good and evil. God actually restrains us from committing the evil that we want to commit. It's his common grace. That's what that's typically called the idea that even unbelievers can do good things out of God's common grace for all of humanity. God actually restrains us from doing the evil. Remember, so and that's that's what's so interesting with Joseph and his brothers. They originally wanted to kill him. And God brought about the caravan that they eventually sold Joseph and then he went to Egypt. You know the story. But like, so God restrained them from doing what they really wanted to do. It was still able to use the evil that they wanted to perpetrate to his own good purposes. Yeah. So, yeah, no, yeah, that's, uh, that's a good point. So I, 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 it's one of those um, ones that I think um, there's, yeah, I don't, there's, uh, I would say the strength of reformed um, theology is that it tends to be very systematic and it tends to um, kind of take the scriptures and build a systematic theology that um, is done with very good scholarship. And I mean, that's, that's, that's the argument for reformed uh, views. Um, well, now, and, you know, I, so to, to your point, so I, I have a friend who's not a he's he's a three point Calvinist. He uh, so if if you look at Calvinism, there's the five points of Calvinism. We're not going to get into those nuts and bolts today. So he's he's subscribes. To the, he's like a three point Calvinist. He doesn't. He's not full. You know, he doesn't believe that he he believes that God loves everybody. Uh, he he wouldn't identify himself as an Armenian, but he makes a similar point that his favorite systematic theologians the best because he's a pastor so what he his the resources that he relies on are typically created by calvinists they calvinists a large part are very concerned with how these big ideas these doctrines are they theologically sound does all of scripture coherently support these ideas uh, if it doesn't, then we, you know, we need to examine that and, and address that, which, yep. which I appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, okay. So that's within Protestantism, that's 
What's, that's one dividing you know, line, that's, the that's idea of whether or not line. God loves everybody. Right. Yeah. So another big one people would notice is baptism, right? So you have infant baptism versus adult baptism, right? That's a big spectrum difference. And, you know, the typical infant baptism groups are Presbyterians, Methodists, Anglicans, right? Yeah. And yep. I, I don't know, am I, who am I missing? I don't know. I think those are the big, big those ones. Those are the big ones. Charis- and Pentecostals, Charismatics, and Baptists are all the, they call it credo baptism. Baptism. Credo baptism. Creed. Right. So where do you fall on that spectrum? I go back and forth as a, so as a Presbyterian, I'm supposed to be infant, right? It's supposed to be pedo Baptist, but, um, and, and especially as a father, I like that idea too of, yeah, like you bring, you've cut covenant with God, you've cut covenant with almighty, like, and to you and to your family, you know, when you look at the book of Acts and you see people who've made a profession of faith, they are baptized with their families. They, they doesn't like the kids making a profession of faith doesn't seem to be a thing. Um, so, but then, um, Presbyterians like to do, like the dabs of water for baptism and Baptists do the, the full immersion, like where you have dunk. somebody that dunks yeah. you into the water. That is way cooler than Presbyterian baptisms. Have you uh, seen uh, Eastern Orthodox uh, infant baptism? Uh, I may they do have. the whole dunk. Yeah. Eastern Orthodox do the okay. whole dunk. So even nice. on the babies, they'll just dunk them down. Which <laughs> and, uh, there's the, the, uh, the didache, which is, is that a first century or is it a second century document? Uh, it's, it's most people early. date it to 90 AD. Okay. Yeah, okay. So it's 90. very early, but it's sort of like a manual for early Christians. Like how do we conduct in Christian sacraments? And when they talk about baptism, it talks about full, if, if there is a body of water that's available, that's immersible, then use a, a immersion. So I'm not sure how Presbyterians um, justify not because we got, I mean, we got plenty of uh, here in the Midwest, there's tons of areas with immersible water. <laughs> yeah. And that, I mean, that is, we're going to talk about Catholicism versus Protestantism. Um, and, you know, I think that if I was a Presbyterian theologian, I think my answer would be Didache does not tell me what I can do. Only the Bible does. And, you know, the, I've heard the, the reformed or, or the Presbyterian argument for that type of baptism is, um, basically that the word in Greek baptizo is um, can refer to sprinkling as well as a dunk. So uh, that's, that's the Presbyterian argument is that it's, it's all one. And, um, but if you, and there's a like, couple of ref. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, no, it's okay. Uh, but like, if you read um, when, so when Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, it's in a river, right? Like it's like, it's mm-hmm. hard to read that and to be like, yeah, like, John just took a handful of water and splashed it at Jesus. Like, no, like that was most like it's, it's most reasonable to to conclude that Jesus was fully immersed when he was baptized. Right. 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 Yeah. 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 Anyway. So that's, yeah, that's, that's the argument. And uh, the Catholics obviously, so that's a place where Baptists and Orthodox are closer to each other as they both do the full dunk and uh, Catholics do the sprinkle and Presbyterians do the sprinkle. So that's, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, yeah. I, um, so when we first started this, I thought that there would be some pretty, like there would be some very clear distinctions 
between just those three, but there actually is a lot more similarities on different issues for different reasons than I've been, maybe I realized. Yeah. 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 It's, it's the, the history is all, all interesting. So, so that, yeah, that's an interesting, um, distinction within Protestantism. I, you know, maybe I'm trying to think of other major ones, maybe charismatic is another one. Cessationism is like the idea of like speaking in tongues or prophecy or thing, but I like, I feel like charismatics are like, is there anything like charismatics in Catholicism or Eastern Orthodox? I know there's like a small charismatic contingency in Catholicism, but. Yeah. So um, it's interesting. So the idea within, so just so people know, if you're not familiar with these terms, because I, I know we have people that either aren't Christian or are not Protestant, Protestant, but charismatic Basically, if you see those videos of people dancing in the hall and dancing down the aisle, that's a charismatic church. And what they, they're saying is that they're been overcome by the Holy Spirit. And that's a reference in the New Testament um, to um, the, the fire of the Holy Spirit would come into the early church and they'd be able to speak in tongues. And Paul talks about being able to speak in the tongues of angels. And um, so what you'll, if you go into as a kind of a wild experience, if you've never experienced before and i've never had a history in a charismatic church so i it is wild to me um but some people it's normal but you'll go into the church and people are mumbling and dancing and 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 yelling and shouting for joy um and the idea is that they're being overcome by the the power of the holy spirit and they're able to speak in the tongues of angels etc etc um now in terms of the overlap between that and catholicism you're right there are charismatic churches within Catholicism. Um, and um, there was an allowance of that. I think John Paul II put an allowance in place um, to allow certain churches to practice um, the charismatic uh, gifts. Um, it's not a normal order. And I don't think there's a lot of new ones. It's, I, I don't know that it's terribly popular uh, within Catholicism, um, but um, it definitely is out there. Um, and I will say there's an element of Catholicism that's always kind of had that in that they've always had a mystical tradition. So they've always had people that were overcome by the spirit and provided a prophecy or could foresee something happening or um, saw a vision of Jesus. So that the, the prophetic mystical experience, I think in some ways has some parallels to that where okay. it's much as it's, it's, you know, uh, Presbyterianism is described as the frozen chosen as a joke, you know, like they're, they're very stiff, very um, somber, good Bible scholars. They know the Greek, they know the Hebrew, they nail it down, they build the system, get everything right. Um, but it's very kind of frozen, not emotional at all. Um, there's elements of Catholicism, especially among the mystics and, and among um, certain parts of, of church history that are there's a lot of parallels between that and modern day um, charismatic traditions. But like, will the desert fathers fall under that? The, the sort of like desert mystics that almost um, like you, you, you read stories about like they would go into the desert and fast and pray and then like fight 
demons, like de- demons with yeah. Ghost Rider yep. and stuff. Yeah, yep, yeah, absolutely. Um, there, yeah, there's been a lot of mystics within uh, Roman Catholic history, and and a lot of times um, they do have. Even like Joan of Arc is a good example, where she had visions of what the English were going to do, and apparently was able to predict it. Like if you read Churchill's description of of her, he basically argues that it's supernatural. Like she was able to see stuff that nobody else could see whether that's true or not. I don't know, but, um, but yeah, there's a long line of mystics within Catholicism. Um, and they, they've, um, it's not quite the same, you know, typically aren't dancing down the aisle kind of thing, but they're, they are like overcome with, um, with certain, um, mystics with mystical visions, that kind of thing. Um, St. Catherine is a good example. Um, I'm trying to think of other one, uh, St. Teresa of Avila is another one. So yeah, there's, they've, they've had them throughout history and just similar deal where they're like this prophetic vision. Kind of okay. Stuff. Interesting. Um, one area that I think Protestants differ from Catholics and Orthodox is the idea of sola scriptura, the Bible and the Bible alone. So Protestants are very much about, you know, the Bible, the 66 books of the Bible that's those scriptures specifically are what is divinely inspired. Not to say that God can't speak through other ways, through the natural world, through teaching, through church history, but the idea that sola scriptura is the ultimate divine revelation of almighty God, everything else, it's infallible. The Bible has no mistakes it can't have mistakes because it was written directly by God. It was what I see people talk like um, when Paul is speaking to Timothy about the efficacy of the scriptures, he says it's the scriptures are God breathed, theonustos, God breathed. Like, so there's Protestants are very much about that distinction between teachings and church history and the Bible. Whereas at least from my perspective, it seems Catholics and Orthodox don't put the Bible, put those 66 books at that sort of level. There's, I don't want to say that it's the Bible is equal with other books and liturgy and everything else, but like, but they don't, they don't subscribe to Sola Scriptura. Do, do, do I have that right? You do have that correct. Yeah. The, um, neither the Catholics nor the Eastern Orthodox um, believe that scripture alone is sufficient uh, for doctrine and morals. Um, Both um, hold to the idea that church tradition and the authority of the church um, is the only proper way to interpret and understand scripture. Um, There is some debate whether every doctrine needs to be found in scripture, um, but within both of those they would say the church is authoritative in interpreting scripture yeah so yeah that's that's a big difference right and i'm not sure how if like catholicism probably confuses me more because i feel like the current pope especially has said things that run counter to things that catholics have traditionally believed for centuries you know like the when he announced that atheists 
could go to heaven as long as they live moral lives. That's I don't know that that's ever been a true Catholic position that you could go to heaven without a saving faith in Jesus Christ specifically. But, um, but with Eastern Orthodox, I don't, I don't know if that they have the same problems that Catholics do where they don't have a papal authority. It's all church. And um, you don't have to worry about uh, one guy at the top that will say things that are different from the guy that was at the top 20, hundred years or 500 years ago. Yeah. Running those same issues. Yeah. Which kind of gets to the, I guess the other major distinctions between Protestant denominations, which is the um, ecclesiastical structure, the church structure. So you have a lot of different forms within Protestantism. You have um, an Episcopal structure where you have basically bishops. um, And that's true in Anglicanism. That's true in Methodism. Um, to some degree true within Lutheran, depending on which stream of Lutheran you're part of. Um, and then you have congregational meetings, which is, you know, your Baptists, your congregationalists, et cetera. And then you have your Presbyterian structure, which is true for Presbyterians, obviously. And then I think uh, to some degree, um, or other reformed denominations as well have, have something similar to that. Um, and then within Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy, they also follow the Episcopal structure. Um, the um, Episcopal um, structure is basically says that the bishop runs things and he's oversees a, a certain number of churches. Um, what Catholicism has on top of that is the super bishop, uh, which is the Bishop of Rome or the Pope um, that all has ultimate authority over all the other bishops. Um, so yeah, that's the, that's the big distinction there. So that's where like an Anglican could argue that they're in line with Eastern Orthodoxy um, in that they have the Episcopal structure and they, you know, so the Anglican could argue they're pretty close to Eastern Orthodoxy um, and that they agree with Eastern Orthodoxy that the Bishop of Rome has overstepped his bounds. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, I can see why their people are more interested in Eastern Orthodoxy than maybe Catholicism, but I don't know. Shia LaBeouf just became Catholic. Did you see that? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's good. Yeah. There's a resurgence in, you know, I'm seeing like a lot of people talk about reformed, like Calvinist type faiths, whatever. But like, there, I, I feel, and hopefully, there is this surge of people who are who are interested in Jesus. You know, however they, whatever brand or variety of Christianity they come to a saving faith in Jesus. There are people that are more interested in Jesus. Like they see, I think that the world has gotten really weird and crazy and yeah, maybe yeah, Christianity yeah. is a, an, an antidote to the modern craziness. Yeah. Yeah. It's some stability for, yeah. uh, for everybody. So yeah. The, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was gonna, so like the last thing um, I thought we'd talk about like one dividing line, a final dividing line to flesh out the perpetual virginity of Mary. I'm not super like I saw people actually just this last week, there were Orthodox and Catholics going crazy about the idea that Protestants are okay with the idea that 
Mary had children besides Jesus that she, you know, had intimate relations with her husband. I don't understand why. So it's like, here's my question. About like the, so, so people who don't know the perpetual virginity of Mary is the idea that Mary was a virgin when she was conceived with, with Jesus, which every Christian believes that. The difference is after Jesus' birth, you know, she was she was married to Joseph. Did her and Joseph have relations and have other kid children? Or you know, it seems like Catholics and Orthodox are pretty firm on the idea that it seems really important to them too that Mary was a virgin her entire life. It's almost like the idea that she had relations with Joseph is anathema it's heresy it's and I, I don't understand like i guess like what what's the 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 bad implications of being open to the idea that like i you know whether she did or not i don't know that that has like what's the big implication there if if she did have relations with joseph like what like what are the consequences of that idea that they're so freaked out about so i i think within Catholicism, and it's hard for Protestants to even understand this, but there's a giant, and I think that's true almost to the same degree within Eastern Orthodoxy, but there's a giant, Mary plays a giant role um, where she is someone that um, can be prayed to. Um, she's someone that provides comfort. She's someone that acts like a mother to Catholics. Um, and it's hard for Protestants don't get that. That's like, there's no, no understanding there, but, um, as if you talk to a Catholic, incredibly important. Um, and you know, the rosary that you'll see them praying, a lot of those prayers are to Mary. They do the hail Mary throughout that. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, she's an incredibly important, uh, figure within, um, Catholicism, um, and Eastern Orthodoxy. Um, and they're, part of the um, theology that surrounds her is her um, being perfectly pure, perfectly sinless, um, perfectly um, good in, in every way. Um, she still needed saving, they would say, because ultimately God has to save, but that he did so at conception. He, he saved her out of the gate. And so she's kind of been in the sinless state. Um, I had a Russian once tell me a funny joke. He was telling the story. He said, um, when the story of Jesus, when it was, uh, he's talking to the adulterer. And um, if you remember, they were, they were about to stone the adulterer. And he said, whoever has, is without sin, cast the first stone. And then a stone came flying and hit the lady on the head. And Jesus turns around and he says, mother. But so anyway, there's this giant um, theology around it. And part of that is that she remained a virgin throughout her life, that she um, kept herself um, a, a pure virgin. She was essentially married to God. And um, as a result, it would be kind of a, a defiling so for them it's it's a big deal because it's it's like well, oh we're so you're it, undermining it kind of our begs whole, the question like so having intimacy with your spouse is sinful you know what i mean like yeah okay yeah. like okay like obviously protestants have <clears throat> don't hold 
Mary in that same regard. They don't believe that Mary was sinless, you know, like, but so then, okay. Like even, even let's, let's for the sake of argument, accept all that, accept that she's sinless, whatever, like what, what is her having intimacy with Joseph? How does that affect? Cause that's like having relations with your spouse is not inherently sinful. Yeah. I, I don't know exactly what the answer to that would be from their end. Although I, I will say, I think there's um, just to some degree, they would say she was ultimately set aside by God and therefore to, to, um, then go back to a normal married life would not be fulfilling her being set aside. Um, with that being said, I, I will say, um, let me, this is my Protestantism coming out a little bit, but <laughs> let me say, um, I, I think that there was a, an ideal around virginity um, in the early middle ages um, that is not a particularly biblical ideal um, that um, were guys like, St. Augustine and, and, um, and others in that era, um, speak very, you know, origin and, and uh, origins earlier than that, obviously, but, um, those that people within that, um, vein of thought tended to be very critical of, um, the whole sexual process. And it was kind of almost viewed as an, uh, necessary evil, um, that some people had to do, but it was not necessarily a good thing, which obviously is not a, a biblical idea. Um, now, I, I, don't, I don't think that's still the position of the church in any way, but um, I think there's some some culture that may have remained there. Um, but I, 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 I want to be careful because I, I, I'm, I'm saying things from, again, my present uh, bias. I'm sure there's a a Catholic person that would correct me on that, but yeah. Um, well, and to our Catholic uh, Eastern Orthodox listeners, Hey, you know, let us know, like if, what are, what are the problems of if Mary, like whether she was or not, I'm not sure what, like we could go either way, but I don't understand why we have to believe that she in her perpetual virginity. Why is that so important? If somebody can explain that to me, mm-hmm. yeah, I would, I would, greatly appreciate but i don't understand why that we have that that's so important we have to believe that that that's that keeps her holy she she's holy she's if she is a perpetual virgin she's somehow holier than if she had intimacy with her husband that god that god gave her like you 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 look at the when the angel has to appear to joseph it's like look don't don't turn mary out I I know she's pregnant out of wetlock, but God has ordained this, you know, like you're, we, you need to marry her. Like to then extrapolate from that, that there's like, he was like, Joseph was also a perpetual virgin with Mary. And that's, and God didn't want them having any, like that sort of intimacy after they were, formally married i don't understand why we would need that or why that's important so if someone can enlighten us i would greatly appreciate it yeah yeah i uh i 
would love to have that. And yeah, we've, uh, when we did our libertarian discussions, we invited uh, libertarians on the show. So far, I haven't been taken up, although Jacob Brunton said he, he might, but same invite here as if there's yep. a Catholic or Eastern Orthodox uh, person out there that wants to wants to join us for a yeah, discussion. Us. We'd love to do it. Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. We go, I, these are really cool questions, I think. Um, I mean, I, I'm, of course, I'm partial to the things we talk about because I'm the one talking about them. But these, being able to talk about these big ideas and their bigger implications, you know, like that—that's always a big deal to me. So, yeah. But I think those those are like the major divided lines between Protestants themselves and then Protestants between the Catholics and or Eastern Orthodox. That's of course from my vantage point as a Western Protestant. But hopefully, if you're Catholic or Orthodox and wanted to know maybe a little bit more, like a Protestant who believes certain things and is aware of the problems that those ideas produce and how they reconcile them, like when we talked about Calvin, I'm a Calvinist, and it makes God seem like a soulless, emotionless, robotic narcissist he's truly sovereign and you're not able to respond to the gospel without his decree to do so. Yeah. Well, that's, I, I'm fully aware of, of that, <laughs> of that problem. And, and hopefully I shed some light on why I still believe that that's the case or not. And just some of those major differences, but uh, anything else you'd want to, to close us with Lewis? Not really. No, I, I know um, the big, criticism that roman catholics have of protestants is um is all these divisions um they would say you know clearly there's a problem when you're splitting so much mm -hmm. you know when when you know it's it's um you know everybody's you have a problem with the pope but in protestantism everybody's a pope and you know ultimately people are making their own decisions and going their own directions which i find to be an interesting critique well, to, to that, I would point, so in First John, he specifically addresses that and says that each of you are able to understand God, his will for you, scriptures, scriptures interpretation. That's not to say that teachings and doctrine aren't important. And, and, and Protestants have had, you know, especially Baptists, you know, no creed but the Bible, like the Bible, well, what do you believe about the Bible? And as soon as you answer that question, you're starting to explain doctrine and creeds, <clears throat> confessionals, like there. And like you said, we were talking about Catholic charismatics. Catholics have divisions too. It's just all happens to be under, at least it appears to be all under one branch. I'm not sure like how yeah. united they actually are, or if in practice, they're just as divided as Protestants are. <laughs> yeah they do have um that that is an interesting thing about roman catholicism and i think part of the reason that they're so big and i think part of the things they've been successful at is that when they get some reformer pop up usually they're pretty good at integrating them right usually they're they're you know saint francis of assisi is a good example he had all kinds of critiques of the church and the church was like hey this is great why don't you start your own um start your own order and, and do your own thing. And, and they incorporate yeah, them and actually avoid another Protestant yeah. reformation. Yeah. Well, that was before the, the reformation. <laughs> oh, right, but right, Luther, right. Luther is a, 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 
kind of an exception for the Roman Catholic Church. They did a really bad job with Luther. They, they, you know, he, if you read his 95 thesis, it was, it was not the major, any of the major distinctions we've talked about. He, he talked about stuff most Catholics would agree with today, but the church like freaked out, I think, cause they were sensitive about heretics or whatever, but they freaked out and uh, really made an enemy out of Luther and, um, and opened the door to the huge split within the church. So um, it's usually Catholics, you know, if you go back through the 2000 year history, Roman Catholics tend to be pretty good at dealing with division and finding a way to have a, a big tent, but yeah, almost everything we've talked about with the exception of maybe baptism. Um, there's a lot of views within the Roman Catholic church of, of where those go. And I've, I know Catholics that have question the validity of the validity of this pope have said maybe he's uh, so i was i wanted to ask so that so. it's funny you say that because i want to like what percentage would you say of catholics have uh, don't believe that the current pope is legitimate is it a pretty small faction or? i'm sure it's small yeah, yeah. i'm sure it's very small because I, I yeah i know a lot of very conservative catholics and i think most of them don't believe that but some of them do and um but I, I think it's the real conservatives that are more prone to believe that. And they're also, but they're also more prone to also um, be loyal to the Pope. So, you know, it's, it's a weird blend, but yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sure it's a very tiny percentage, but. Gotcha. Uh, very cool. Well, thank you everybody. Like subscribe. If you're uh, like we said, if you're Eastern Orthodox, if you're Catholic and you want to help enlighten us on some of these things, we, you know, we really want to know. Um, Lewis's book is on shelves, audio book. Everything's ready to go, right, Lewis? You want to tell us about that? Everything's ready to go. Yeah, August 29th, which might be when we post. I think we post this uh, episode on August 29th, so it should be ready when you hear this um, to uh, to go and you can get the ebook for is pre order even even before that. Um, but uh, everything should be up on August 29th. You can get the paperback. Audible version will probably be later this week i don't have an exact date but it should be like uh by the end of august it should be up and up and ready to go um so uh if you follow me on uh, my substack lewishunget.substack.com i will definitely send everybody a note uh when the paperback's ready and when um the uh audible book is ready very cool very cool all right thanks lewis thank you everybody we'll see you next time all right thanks a lot Thank <laughs> you.